we have to remember that the learning models and everything that we've done with, with Gen AI and the advancements of Gen AI and how it's helping with developer velocity and, and modernization approaches, it's in its infancy. It's early stages. Hi, and welcome to the Tech News This Week podcast. I'm your host, Anton Gonsalves, editor-at-large with Tech Target Editorial. Uh, there were a couple of important developments in generative AI this week. Google introduced its new AI system, Gemini, and IBM and Meta joined over, over 50 tech companies and educational institutions to launch AI Alliance, a community focused on responsible AI. Uh, here to talk about these events and more are Paul Nashwadi and Mike Leone of Tech Target's Enterprise Strategy Group. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Anton. All right. Thanks for having me. Yep. So let's start with Google. Uh, Google claims Gemini is more powerful than OpenAI's GPT-4. Of course, we have no way to verify that. So we'll assume that Gemini and GPT-4 are at least competitive. Uh, but an issue not addressed beyond the power of the systems is the problem with the inaccuracies and in the responses from large language models called hallucinations in the industry. You know, Amazon customers at reInvent uh, last week, you know, told me that hallucinations was a critical problem in the use of these large language models. So what is Google, uh, so let's start there. What is Google, Microsoft, and uh, Amazon's uh, cloud service, AWS? Well, what are they doing to help enterprise customers uh, with that problem? And are they successful? What are you hearing out there? Yeah, I'll, I'll start, Paul. Uh, you can jump in. And I'll say this. Um, we're doing a better job as a collective market and industry to be able to gauge how well models do compared to one another with um, a rising up of, let's call them industry standard benchmarks. So that's happening. Um, and as they released Genesis, there were a couple of benchmarks, well, several benchmarks where they were trying to rank themselves against some of the other models. And it does very, very well, right? And that's fantastic. But um, a big component and a big uh, point that you mentioned is around the sophistication, right? Uh, Google's coming out saying this is the most sophisticated. They're also saying this is the most responsible. Now, they didn't shed many details on the responsible layer, mm -hmm. um, but that's a big theme right now. It's avoid hallucinations. I'm, I'm big on accuracy is king, period. You can do anything you want with this technology. You can deploy monster large language models. You can put tons of infrastructure behind it. Gives me the wrong answer. I'm not using it. I'm sorry. You know, so... That's a big reason and an emphasis on uh, just responsible AI as a whole. There's accuracy is a pillar there. And mm -hmm. these organizations, these big cloud providers, they're doing a ton to try and improve the reliability, the trustworthiness, the governance, the security. Now, with all that said, Meta also recently announced that they disbanded their responsible AI team, right? So you hear this big emphasis on we need to be good and accurate and uh, governed and secure and re responsible, whatever. And then Meta goes and does that. So um, it's early days. I know they're building out teams. 
Um, they're, you know, I know that Google specifically, they have a really well-structured process and approach for kind of monitoring and, and making sure organizations are doing things the right way. Um, and the other thing you'll hear from all of them, and they stress this a ton, we will not use customer data to influence or train uh, our models, right? So that's like a theme we hear everywhere. And then by the way, AWS at reInvent last week, so many announcements all associated with trust, right? So, uh, you know, I know Paul and I, we had, we did a video recap there, but mm -hmm. I mean, it was a theme and it's going to continue to be a theme. I say it all the time. 2024 is the year of responsible AI, right, Paul? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And, you know, and thanks for that. So quite in-depth kind of analysis there. One of the things I want to touch on, you know, as, as we like look at the use cases and we you mentioned 2024, right, Mike? And, and when I think about what we saw with Google, what we see with the uh, announcements this week around, there was a ton of announcements on, on AI and the, and the alliances and things that are happening. But when we look at what's happening. And I want to echo a couple of points that Mike brought up. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it in the context of developers and how they're uh, building new code and productivity and such and how that all works. And that's an, it's important to understand that. But when I look at, Mike, you triggered something on the responsible AI piece. And I want to touch a little bit on regulations because what we're seeing is uh, an emergence. And I bet in 2024, we're going to see a whole lot more of this of regular regulations that are going in place that is going to focus around Gen AI. Um, open AI investigations in Italy is going on right now. We have lawyers in Poland that are dealing with new lawsuits that are uh, around uh, GDPR violations. And we're seeing the EU uh, Data Protection Board is launching a task force that had coordinated enforcements around ChatGPT. All this is happening now, right? And that's around that responsible use of AI. So when you look at that and start modernizing your environments and start building your environments, um, I really like what what the, you know these announcements this week because it introduced a new level of competition. Um, we have to remember that the learning models and everything that we've done with with Gen AI and the advancements of Gen AI and how it's helping with developer velocity and and modernization approaches it's in its infancy. It's early stages. Now, but these organizations like the AI, AI Alliance that was uh, uh, launched this week uh, by IBM and Meta, and then. A while ago, you had the partnership on AI. I mean, to a large extent, aren't these, aren't these um, organizations set up for tech vendors to stay ahead of government? In other words, try and mold the discussion around the um, safe or, or use of AI that will protect businesses and, and people? Yeah, I'll take a shot at that one there because I think that when I look at the alliance here, uh, I really I want to echo the point on the competitive landscape, right? And and what when you look at what has been announced this week, um, the innovation that's driving towards results is addressing business need. Okay, the regulation and governance that goes in place behind it is reactive to what technology is being created to address that business need. So we see businesses that are looking to grow and modernize based on their again, their business directives and business needs. But then there's also, well, how do you move that, you know, modernization forward by being responsible? And that's when you start putting those governance and those rules in place. So there's going to be a little bit of an evolution in this whole process because we have to see what happens 
before we actually start putting governance and regulations in place. Uh, because I think that we're going to find that, you know, the movement of creating new code and to modernize, we're seeing in our research the amount of work it takes to do the efforts that are being delivered today is two to three times more than what we saw just a few years ago, just two years ago. And, and that's what we're finding that in our research. What we're also seeing is the amount of output you're going to see from a modernization perspective is not about throwing more bodies at it. It comes down to automation and it comes down to utilizing AI to make sure you have the right automation in place and the right tool sets in place in order to meet the needs of the business acceleration of velocity. Sure. I mean, yes. I mean, that's that's why everyone's so interested in AI on the enterprise side. But it's worth noting that the tech industry's record on safety isn't so great. I mean, all you have to do is look at social networks and social media. I mean, there's so so that's worth it's worth noting that now that they're going into generative AI, which is transformative in a way, it can have impact on many facets of society and the way we live. I don't think that given the tech industry's record that we should necessarily leave it up to them. So so I think there's going to be some tension here, if not be, between tech companies, customers, enterprise customers, uh, consumers, and government. I think this, this is going to be a battle that's going to go on for a while. All right, so, so I want to move on to another topic, uh, and that's open source, the open source community in the uh, development of generative AI. How do you see, um, how do you see open source, the open source community within the development of generative AI? What role do they play in, in this? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first here, Paul. And I know that you have thoughts on this and we've talked about this several times, right? But um, for me, so much about Gen AI right now is, um, this goes back to what we are talking about earlier, uh, responsible AI, uh, transparency, at least open source can provide a level of transparency for organizations as they go and pursue generative AI. There are some models that are private and they're closed, right? And that's an issue especially if those organizations don't even know how they work um, or, Hey, I don't know. I, I can't cite where that data came from. Um, at least open source gives a level of transparency, gives um, a level of organizations being able to build off of it in a way that, I don't know, they can trust. Right. And that's kind of the big thing for me. It's that transparency. And then it's a level of control on top of it. So, hey, great, I can see how this was built. I can see how it's changing over time. Hey, now I wanna add my data and I know I can integrate in different unique ways. I can build my own integrations. I can do all these different things. So from that standpoint, it's really, for me, it's a transparency component and we're just scratching the surface on the transparency side too, right? I, I think we need to go a lot deeper there, but um, yeah, Paul, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, a lot of thoughts there, Mike. I mean, you know, and you can go in a lot of directions, but I'll think, I think when I look at open source, you know, I, I, I want to kind of bring it back to data, right? And when I think about it in the context of where development teams are, are going, they're moving from experiment experimentation to really embedding, uh, you know, Gen AI into their software development life cycles. What we're seeing is developers may gain upwards of 50% productivity on average. Some use cases were showing over 200% gain in average on, 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 on their development. So really, really important. Right? And that's directly related to open source technologies. I agree with you, Mike. You need to 
have open source to let the community touch and use the product, expose any weaknesses that may happen in the in the solutions. The ecosystem matters, exactly to your point, Mike. But the other thing that's incredibly important, and I think that this is a, a prediction for 2024, is the rise of the increase of the importance of the self-service delivery uh, developer portals. We're going to see companies like, you know, for example, Backstage, uh, you know, to develop a portal that was created by Spotify and donated to the CNCF. That is absolutely based on open source, right? And that's an open source technology that is being used to help productivity and drive those results. You're going to see more and more of Gen AI and AI solutions embedded into these open source opportunities so you can actually produce and create um, that developer velocity that organizations are looking for. Good. I want to add one thing to this because this is really important. We actually have research data kind of asking organizations, hey, as you use and develop generative AI, you know, what approach are you taking? And 53% of organizations, so a majority of organizations that are pursuing Gen AI right now, um, they're going to be utilizing open source, um, an open source LLM under the hood, whether it's them using it themselves or working with a third party to help them ramp up their Gen AI initiative with open source. But 53% is the number that we have right now. That's uh, that's significant. That's significant. Yep. And and you, and you mentioned uh, and you mentioned transparency on these on the models. Uh, that was another point that AWS, uh, Amazon customers, all mentioned biases. That they were all very concerned with the biases in um, the large language models they use, and, and they feared that if they used it on an HR application, they could be disc- discriminating. Uh, you know, against uh, new hires. So possibly this transparency, if open source model is more transparent where the enterprise can actually see how it's coming up with the answers it does, that could be, uh, that could be a benefit. I mean, an absolute benefit to more proprietary systems offered by vendors, you know? So we'll see how that develops. That's an interesting topic and we'll, uh, we'll revisit it again, I'm sure. Uh, Paul, Mike, uh, thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate you joining me on uh, on the podcast. Always a pleasure, Anton. Thank you. Yeah, All thanks right. so much, Anton. Security is critical with everything IT. So here to discuss the latest security news is Melinda Marks, an analyst with Tech Targets Enterprise Strategy Group. Uh, Melinda, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of uh, AWS uh, customers when I was at the show, mm-hmm. and I did find it interesting that they, did, they mentioned privacy and particularly securing their own data as, as major issues for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was despite the fact that they use AWS. So it seems like there, to me, there was a bit of a disconnect here where the customers are expressing some serious concern mm-hmm. with, uh, with their privacy, but at the same time, you would think that they would be, they would feel somewhat comfortable because AWS is supposed to help them do all of that. Uh, but why do you think there's a there's a disconnect? There seems to be a disconnect there. Yeah, I think it's just because of the nature of AI and ML. So machine learning, generative AI, it takes a lot of data to train these models. So for it to be more effective and more accurate, it needs more data. So there's that concern of as you make better models and um, improve the technology, 
um, you know, there's you want to make sure that it's not going to pull sensitive data and certain things that you're sharing with these models will just end up somewhere. So I think it's that balance of creating good ML, good generative AI tools, and making sure that as we develop these technologies and as we progress and evolve, that you know that um, you're contributing, but your data isn't going to be shared. And that's, it's, it's a tricky thing to balance. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, the technology is so new. Mm -hmm. And obviously at, at uh, reInvent, there was a, a whole slew of security announcements. Uh, so evidently, uh, the cloud providers, or in this case, AWS, they don't really have all their tools ready yet. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they're rolling it out. So that, so I would assume that with customers experimenting with generative AI, that would help, that would make them feel nervous too, because they don't have the tools yet. They're just starting right. to roll out. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of experimentation going, going on. And then also all those CSP players are key in this generative AI race to have a leader and um, you know have the most innovation and the biggest competitive advantage. So it, it'll be interesting to continue to watch as they um, you know show what their differentiators are. Um, I think at reInvent they were trying to talk about um, freedom of choice of models and flexibility, meeting the customers where they are. Um, I think that's a theme that we see from all the CSPs, but I think people realize that whichever CSP they're using a lot, generative AI is going to be key to usage and continuing getting the benefits of digital transformation for business growth. Yeah. And for our listeners, CSP means a cloud service provider. It's, yes. Uh, okay. So, uh, all right. So is it too early to, to, uh, to see any differentiation between the major uh, cloud providers, AWS, Google, Microsoft, in terms of their approach uh, to security? Yeah, I mean, they're all, uh, this year has been the big year of generative AI and Microsoft's activity with ChatGPT. Um, you know, they're a clear front runner. Google has been in the AI and ML and now Gen AI game for a long time. So they have models that, um, you know, they have assistive features that um, they touted earlier in the year. And I think they've had a lead on this for a while as well. Um, reInvent, I think, was playing catch up a little bit. But um, as my colleague who covers Gen AI um, has said, it seems like they're catching up and they did a good job of, you know, trying to catch up. So it was really good to hear what AWS offers just because there's so many people who are using AWS and they need a lot of those features as well. Um, yeah, so how should uh, tech buyers think about, uh, you know, our, our listeners, how should they think about uh, choosing between these, uh, these cloud providers, uh, you know, evaluating them in terms of, of, of security? Since all of this is so new and they're, and all of them, all of them are seems to be um, trying to grab, jump on that marketing train and mm -hmm. make all these announcements. Yeah. yeah, well, and hopefully people will realize it's it's not just it's not just marketing or buzzwords. Like this is a real competitive differentiator for cloud service providers because you want to put your your um, workloads into infrastructure and platforms that's secure and well architected. And you know you have a shared responsibility with the cloud service provider 
So they're taking care of the security of the platform that you're putting your workloads in, but you're also looking for what are they doing to help you with your part of the shared responsibility model of making it easy for you to secure your workloads. And every CSP um, is architected differently. Um, you'll see at the different shows, they have different chips, they have different um, architectures, and um, their platforms are just built differently. And so the way that you can, the way that it, that security is incorporated is different for each cloud service. And so it's really important for organizations to look at that, look at what the CSPs provide, both on the platform level and then also what they do to help you with your workloads. And sometimes it's extra features and services that can be enabled. So each of them has things like cloud security posture management services. Um, so you can check your configurations of your workloads. That's you know at that higher level of the shared of what a customer is responsible for. And they they also take into account like they they want their customers to be successful with security. They don't want them facing facing more incidents as they move their workloads to the cloud. So they are offering they offer all of these extra services and features. They have all these extra capabilities and features, and they continuously upgrade them. And then customers can use that. They also have different types of monitoring places where you can pull from, and they're mm -hmm. integrated with security vendors. So if you're a big user of a certain security vendor or security tool, ideally they're pulling the data and they're, they're integrated well with that CSP. So my advice is always just make sure that security is involved in any technology decisions. It doesn't happen enough. A lot of times I talk to CISOs who feel like they're just having to get into reactive mode to what IT ops or the CIO um, has picked for their CSP or for developers or DevOps. And that's kind of driving things as a push for productivity and security is, is you know, kind of something that you look at of, oh, now I'm stuck securing what these other people chose. Now it's more important, I think, for even in IT and ops to look at the security features and capabilities, but ideally also the security team as well um, incorporated into that decision-making um, process so that they can also evaluate it and determine what they need to do for their jobs, which is managing risk and making sure that if there are attacks or threats, they can detect and respond as quickly and efficiently as possible. And whatever tools they're using there, they have a clear strategy for making sure that things are efficient. Okay. All right. Sounds like a lot of work needs to be done before yes. <laughs> uh, the enterprises even think about opening up the wallet to any of these vendors. Um, thank you very much, Melinda. I, I appreciate you uh, joining me on the podcast. And that wraps up this week's show. Uh, thanks for listening.